Hello, and welcome to the 14th episode of the InfoSec Sync Podcast, where we keep you in sync with the ever-changing world of information security. I'm your host, Matt Morris. And I'm your host, Nick Thomas. And give us 60 minutes, and we will keep you on top of the latest security news and help you gain CPEs while tuning in. InfoSec Sync is brought to you by VicTech. At VicTech, they pride themselves on teamwork, customer satisfaction, and providing customers with elite engineering and technology solutions. They aim to become an ever more dominant force in every area, product, or service they represent. Visit them on the web at VicTech.net. That's V-I-K-T-E-C-H.net. InfoSec Sync is also brought to you by AllPoints. AllPoints provides a range of technology and mission-critical services within its core competencies that span systems engineering, information technology, cybersecurity, software development, as well as hardware and software integrated solutions. AllPoints, integrating personnel, technology, and services to exceed customer expectations. Visit them on the web at allpointsllc.com. InfoSec Inc. is also brought to you by the Van Dyke Technology Group. At Van Dyke, their work is focused on the performance and security of information systems of national impact. Optimize performance, maximize security. Experience the Van Dyke difference and visit them on the web at vdtg.com. And now... For the stories of the week, ending February 6th, 2015. What's up, InfoSec Sync fam? It's been a while, but we're back. How you doing, Nick? Good, man. After that Super Bowl loss. Yeah, deflate gate. <laughs> Controversy before the Super Bowl. It was a pretty good game. Um, you know, uh-oh. Wow. I don't know who that is. This early in the podcast? I guess, man. That's the fans calling, man. I know. You guys are calling us off the hooks here. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, it's it's good to be back. Good to be back on the mic. Um, definitely a lot going on in information security that we're going to be able to uh, bring to you guys. Definitely some very interesting stuff. Um, so, without further ado... Let's get into it, right? Cool. So our first story is less than five weeks into the new year, 2015, is already shaping up as one of the most perilous years for users of Adobe Flash. Wow. It seems like update to update to update. It's like every day there's an update. Every day there's an update. So with active exploits against three separate zero-day vulnerabilities, one of which wasn't fully patched as this post uh, went live and this is uh, actually from Ars Technica so uh, dude really the phone's going off all- you need to update your Adobe Flash <laughs> that needs to happen so um, the latest attacks are hitting unsuspecting targets through drive-by downloads served through ads on Daily Motion, The Blaze, NY Daily News, Tagged, Webmail, Earthlink.net and other sites and this was uh, according to research by Malwarebytes and while the vulnerability wasn't disclosed until uh, this week, the exploits have been active in the wild since December 3rd. And that's, uh, you know, what Malwarebytes found. So 
the tooth gnashing <coughs> you hear is from Flash users installing the new zero day patch. So remote code executing bug under active attack. Um, Adobe warns install now. So while the attacks target Windows users running Flash and Firefox or IE, uh, the underlying CVE 2015-0313 security bug is present in Flash for Macs and Linux machines as well. On late Wednesday, Adobe began distributing a fix to users who have opted to receive their automatic updates. Auto update engage. But in the meantime, readers should consider disabling Flash altogether, or at the very least, using Flash inside Google Chrome, which uh, the browser, uh, many security experts say, provides the most comprehensive anti-exploit protections. HTML5. HTML5, no DJ buffer overflow, or <laughs> what was the other one? TCP IP wrapper. TCP IP wrapper. So attacks exploiting... Um, CVE 2015-0313 are unable to escape the Google Chrome security sandbox, and that's uh, you know research from Trend Micro. Shout out to Trend Micro and Malwarebytes for doing your thing. So, exploit fatigue. The rapid succession of zero-day exploits in such a short period of time is made possible by exploit kits and is sold in underground forums online. Malware purveyors say pay a subscription fee and in return get weaponized exploits they can plug into compromised websites or, in some cases, into banner advertisements distributed over ad networks. So that's third-party ads, second-party ads, first-party ads, all sorts of ads. Those ad networks are serving up the malwares with these plugins. So um, an exploit kit known as Angler... Um, distributed attack code for the first two uh, Flash Zero Days. And the most recent vulnerability is being exploited by an Angler competitor known as Hanhuan. Hello, Hanhuan. Welcome to the party. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we shouldn't be laughing about this horrible vulnerability. Um, so the breakneck pace of exploits is creating fatigue among end users and one presumes um, among engineers inside Adobe. No sooner is one patch rolled out than an exploit targeting a new vulnerability becomes available. What's more is researchers from Cisco Systems found the recent flash exploits is being served on more than 1,800 domains. So the persistence, speed, and abundance are only some of the ingredients underscoring the viciousness of these latest campaigns. Oh, look! It's Vic. Hey, what's up, Vic? What's going on, boys? How you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. Life's welcome, good, man. Welcome to another episode. Another episode. It's a yep. new year. We're Things living, are going well, man. We're living in the internet. Living hey, the dream. Th- weren't you at the Super Bowl or something? No, I didn't go to the Super Bowl. Where'd oh, you, you went to the playoff game. I went to the playoff game. Yeah. Right before the big, big snow. Did you see any deflated uh, footballs? <laughs> yeah, I saw, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a Ravens fan, so yeah, definitely you I'm saw. I'm a some Ravens fan all day. I'm a Ravens sat, fan. Sat in the stadium. No, not one Patriots fan said anything to me. Wow, was, that's cool. I was thoroughly impressed. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah, you know, it's all about that uh, purple pride around here. You know why they didn't say anything to you? Because they knew they were going to lose. Because up there, they're wicked smart. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. You listeners only get the quota of one joke tonight. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right, so to continue on, we're talking about the Angler and Adobe Zero Days. O Days. <clears throat> so researchers from security firm Invincia found evidence online uh, crooks may be exploiting Flash Zero Days to install crypto ransomware or on vulnerable computers. Such malware, which encrypts images, documents, or other valuable user data, and demands victims pay, pay up now, hundreds of dollars to recover them, has traditionally relied on social engineering ploys um, that trick people into clicking malicious files. If the unpatched vulnerabilities become a standard way of installing the cryptoware, the scourge could become an even bigger problem than it is now, since... Um, it could not menace much more uh, experienced users. So this is a big problem. Um, this is kind of, I see it as a jump point. You can use Adobe Flash um, to get into the session and get onto the user system, serve up some very malicious things. But anyone who uses Flash, whether on machines running Windows, Mac, OS X, or Linux, should ensure that they are running the latest version by checking a link that we will post. Uh, unfortunately, many Windows users must run the check twice, once in IE and again with Firefox or another non-Chrome browser. At this time of this post was being prepared, the latest version, 16.00.305, is available to people who have enabled automatic updates. Adobe doesn't expect to have manual updates until Thursday, which was this past Thursday. Or is that tomorrow? be tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. 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 Well, if tomorrow. we don't speed up, it'll be today. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So um, as a flash targets uh, threats grow more hostile, rapid patching may not be enough. Instead, readers should just consider throwing away their computers, mobile devices, and going back to the Stone Age. But really, users should consider installing um, un- uninstalling Flash altogether or using one browser for a handful of indispensable sites that require the Adobe plugin and a separate non-Flash using browser for everything else. And as is mentioned in the post and what we're saying right now, Chrome is widely regarded as the safest browser for viewing Flash content. An alternative is to configure Chrome to disable the plugin on all but a select number of sites, which would be technically whitelisting. However, no doubt removing a plugin that most sites depend on is a burden and not in the spirit of openness, but it may make sense for many users given the troubling series of events in recent weeks. So guys, uh, discuss. So the pros are, um, don't don't use it. Nick has been thinking about this. (laughs) Don't use it. Use Google Chrome, right? Because it's using HTML5. Um, but the con is Google Chrome takes up a lot of memory, so be prepared. You better have a bucket for those memory leaks. You better have a bin. Mm-hmm. Well, no, not memory leaks. It's a well-configured application, but um, you better have extra RAM sitting there, you know, from your old PDP-12, PDP-11. You should have one of those, right? No? Nope. A Spark? Old Spark system, maybe? No, Nothing? no Sparks. No. All right. Well, guys. Do you guys have Sparks? Huh? <laughs> nah, man. You trying to call me Sparky? So, <laughs> so uh, we have a good time making this show. I hope you guys listening have a good time listening to us. But 
Um, guys, I have something to share before our next story. Uh-oh. I bought me a server. Sweet. What'd you buy? R710. Wow. Go ahead and ask me specs. Processor. Two. RAM. Yes. <laughs> a lot. No, it has a... I think I'm starting out with um, uh, 60... No, 32 gigs. Wow. 32 gigs, two one-terabyte drives. So um, you're... It has you're, a drive, um, drive base for six. You're inhaling packets instead of sniffing, and then... Um, yeah, I can share with you my plan. Sure, go ahead. So you remember Kazaa? Yep. And uh, <laughs> and LimeWire, Napster. Napster, are they still around? N- n- no, no, their domains are available, are so I'm really? gonna have hardware. Oh, okay. So this is a shout out. No, I'm completely kidding to anybody that's listening. <laughs> completely kidding. DCMA, do not come knocking down my door. Um, I'm actually so I got. There's four onboard NICs with this particular device. I kind of went all out. I bought a rack. Um, I bought a KMM. I bought a router board. Um, oh, quad, man, you went all out. Quad gigabit switch um, that has span-like capabilities for span ports. It also has an SFP. I bought a Wi-Fi uh, wireless access point. So I'm going to centralize everything on my home network um, and start doing uh, intrusion detection, kind of looking at, at some things on there. And awesome. You so, said it's got two processors. Are they the the Xeons? No, they're the E. The Eons. <laughs> <laughs> hold on, let me hold on. Let me bring it he up. Didn't, I wasn't prepared for this. He was on. a little short on the Zs. Man, they. Dude, we, the could heck, total, man? we could totally host like Halo on that thing, man. We're no, solitaire. It's not, it's not a gaming. We're solitaire. No, we're not doing solitaire either. <laughs> solitaire. <laughs> hold on, R seven ten. Solitaire. <laughs> All right, here we go. So it is a two two point six gigahertz quad core E fifty five twenty processors. Big block. Dang. Yeah, man, they're big blocks. So why didn't it, you call that the Whopper? The Whopper. <coughs> yeah, but I actually want I want to beef up the um, RAM. I want to beef up the hard drives to sixty four gig. Shout out! I got to do a shout out real quick. Um, shout out to PF Sense and to um, security onion. Very good. So very good OSs that you can deploy for firewalls and IDSs. That is what I'll be using. And then I haven't really decided what I'm gonna do, but I want to have like a malware analysis VM. lab. No, it's a VM. So we're gonna post Matt's IP for all the listeners. So. <laughs> I wouldn't say that. Was that like Secure Lock where you advertised the social security No, that was LifeLock. Life lock. I am definitely not doing that. <laughs> Heck no. So no IPs will be shared. I just thought I'd share it, share it with you guys. That you know the idea of. that I know of, right? So um, I just wanted to keep you guys apprised of it. It's cool stuff. But yeah, it's, it was a budget build. So I did everything for under 1200 So yeah. Not bad. Little uh, self training. Well, I know how to do it, Vic. No, I mean to keep it. I know. Yourself. Look, I I've been practicing <laughs> on other people's networks. That's true. <laughs> so, like I set up uh, Nick's Halo server. 
And then I said, dude, why did you forget? I set up your Minecraft server. (laughs) (laughs) So, look, uh, all right. Well, anyways, we're getting off topic here. Um, Either way, in the spirit of vulnerabilities, what do you got to say, Nick? A vulnerability in fully patched versions of IE allows attackers to steal login credentials and inject malicious content into users' browsing sessions. Microsoft officials said they're working on a fix for the bug, which works successfully on IE 11, running on both Windows 7 and 8.1. So the vulnerability is known as a universal cross-site scripting bug. It also allows attackers to bypass the same origin policy, a crucially important principle in web application models that prevents one site from accessing or modifying browser cookies, or other content set by any other site. A proof-of-concept exploit published in the past few days shows how websites can violate this rule when people use supported versions of IE running the latest patches to visit maliciously crafted pages. To demonstrate the attack, the demo injects the words, quote, hacked by Doosan, D-E-U-S-E-N, into the website of the Daily Mail. But it also could have stolen HTML-based data, the news site, or any other website store on visitors' computers. That means it would be trivial for attackers to use it to steal authentication cookies many websites use to grant access to user accounts once a visitor has entered a username and password. Once in possession of the cookie, an attacker could access the same restricted areas normally available only to the victim, including those with credit card data, browsing histories, and other confidential data. Fishers could also exploit the bug to trick people into divulging password for sensitive sites. The exploit appears to use iframes to tamper with IE support of the same origin policy. And we're going to um, post the exploit code that they listed. A Microsoft spokesperson issued the following statement. We are not aware of this vulnerability being actively exploited and are working on a security update. To exploit this, an adversary would first need to lure the user to a malicious website, often through phishing. SmartScreen, which is on by default in newer versions of Internet Explorer, help protect against phishing websites. We continue to encourage customers to avoid opening links from untrusted sources and visiting untrusted sites, and to log out when leaving sites to help protect their information. The statement is correct in pointing out that to succeed, an attacker would first have to lure a target to a malicious site. But in an age of social networking and shortened links, that's not a difficult burden to meet. And while smart screen could be an effective remedy, it would take some time for it to be put in place. And even then, smart screen would work only against attacks that are spammed to large numbers of people. Smart screen would likely do nothing to prevent targeted attacks. Question. Answer. Trusted Computing Division. DCD. They're gone. They are gone. (laughs) So who's updating Smart Screen? I don't know. We should call it Smoke Screen. (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, any um, security mechanisms employed at the browser, you kind of have to take with a grain of salt. Unless it's verifying a certificate. Because then you can go straight to that root CA, that CA, and verify it. Otherwise, it's it's a crapshoot, you know? Protect yourself before you wreck yourself.
All right, our next story is uh, it's a good one. Vic, I think you'll like this one in particular. Are you ready for it? I am ready. Okay, so security researchers have once again found Google Play offering malicious apps that have been downloaded by millions of Android users. So, should have got an iPhone. Should have got an iPhone, Vic. Not no, too late. Nope, I'm I'm still up on my my uh, Android. Note. Yep. Everything everything's cool. It's patched. Good. All right. Well, uh, we'll be kicking off a vulnerability assessment <laughs> against. Yeah, we're gonna phone. put it up on Matt's new server. Make sure. Oh. We're gonna throw everything at it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, man. I have the Xeon processor. Both right processors. We're gonna throw at it. <laughs> dun dun dun. All right. So. Um, according to a blog post published Tuesday by antivirus provider Avast, the apps include the Direct card game and at least two other titles. Uh, combined, those apps have been installed by as many as 15 million times. Wow. Where researchers um, wrote that when you install uh, Direct, it seems to be a completely normal, well-working gaming app. Uh, this was the same for the other apps, which included, include an IQ test and a history app. This impression remains until you reboot your device and wait a couple of days. After a week, you may start to feel there is something wrong with your device. Some of the apps wait up to 30 days until they show their true colors. Don't reboot then. <laughs> After 30 days, I guess not many people would know which app is calling ab- abnormal behavior on their phone, right? Each time you unlock your device and an ad is presented to you, warning about a problem, e.g. that your device is infected or out of date or full of, you know, prawn or something. Well, in a fixed case, it's the latter. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) this, of course, is a complete lie. Uh, You are then asked to take action. However, if you approve... You get redirected to a harmful, harmful threats on a fake page, like uh, a dubious app store um, apps that attempt to send premium SMS behind your back, or to apps that simply collect too much of your data for comfort while offering you no additional value. This is not the first time Google's official Android app, Bazaar, has been found to host malicious apps. Um, in the past, it has offered titles laced with serotipitous remote access trojans, Bitcoin miners, and rogue advertising networks. Three years ago, Google introduced a cloud-based scanner that scours play for malicious apps, but attackers have been known to bypass it. Google officials regularly remove apps from play when they are found to be malicious. At the time this post was being prepared on Ars Technica, all three flagged by Avast remained available for download. So um, there is no way to know for for sure (laughs) if an app is available. Yeah, why am I saying shap? (laughs) What type of word is that? So there is no way to for sure that an app available in play isn't malicious. Choosing titles with a large number of downloads developed by well-known developers is a good strategy, but even then, attackers have been known to create malicious programs that masquerade as popular ones. And given the number of installs for Durac, IQ Test, and the History app, millions of installations is no guarantee either. So update. About six hours after the post went live on Ars Technica, a Google spokeswoman emailed to say that three apps have been pulled from play. Yay. 
Yay, welcome to the party. Finally, you fixed it. So, what do you have to say for yourself? So, <laughs> I think this is my third Android. How, how long has Android been out? The operating system? A long time. Made, for mainstream, like Verizon phones. 2010? I, I think, think it's been longer a, than it's that. It's been longer than that. Um, let's see. It's got to be at least five years. Well, that would have been five because it's 2015. Right. So, so I would say 2008. 2008. So, so whether it's five, seven, or ten years, I've never had a virus on my phone. That you know of. You could say that about anything. You might have one on yours right now too that no one's detected. No, I I scan it. Oh oh, initial release September twenty third two thousand eight. Wow, man. So so how am I not the guru in the room on Android? You are. So and I know when it was released. Seven six and a half seven years. I haven't had a virus, baby. Well, the last release was forty (laughs) six days ago with Lollipop. Don't have Lollipop on there. No, you have lollipop on yours right now. Lollipop right now. I don't have the lollipop vulnerability on there. Look, it's lollipop and all. Vulnerabilities (laughs) left, right, and center on your system. (laughs) Dude, the proof is in the pudding. The Google Play Store has very loose software development enforcement for security. It does. Anybody can upload something to the Google Play Store. And have users download it. Absolutely, yep, that's true. So nothing's vetted. You just do and with it. It's iOS, open source. iOS developers don't even want to develop things for the phone. You got to go through the ringer for that. You have to go through the ringer for that. So I know it's kind of late in the game. You're like all in on the androids, but I've we'll been always, in for like we'll six and a half, accept. seven years, baby. Well, we'll accept you. I was once an Android lover too, but you know what? I kind of switched over. I realized I came to my senses. Said, man, this malware and everything is not good. Plus, I mean, come on now. This phone just looks cooler. All right, maybe not. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, so. 512, baby. No, I was just thinking about this today. So, what. Um, okay, so I was reading something this morning, actually, about um, antivirus for mobile devices. So, um, Kaspersky actually wants to get into the market for developing um of course they do <laughs> for de- shut your mouth <laughs> wants to actually get in the market for developing antivirus for uh these mobile devices hmm, but do tell the thing is um it's so hard to get into the market and it's it's the manufacturers that are making it harder what, what are you showing me my norton antivirus Really? Yep. No, you can't scan your phone on that. It's like Norton SafeWeb, isn't it? Sorry for people listening, and I'm getting a demo right now <laughs> of what an antivirus is not on a phone. Can you scan? No. Okay, exactly. And do you have antivirus on your phone right now, Vic? I believe I do. Really? Yeah. Maybe we should make an app. Let me see it. I don't know where it's installed. Yeah, because it's not installed. No, I do. It, it comes yeah, with a... Yeah, you probably downloaded it from the Play Store, some app named Virus Finder. Yeah, it probably has a... It's probably malicious. Anyways, we'll check out your phone and make sure it's not all dirty and has all the viruses and malware on it. Can't have you rolling around like that if you're rolling with the InfoSec St. Crew. 
So, anyways, uh, next story. What do you what do you got to say? So, what do you have to say for yourself, Nick? So this week, Ghost came out, and I'm not talking about the remake of the 1986 movie. <laughs> the new bug haunting Linux could spark a lot of collateral damage on the internet. ARS reported Wednesday the flaw resided in a variety of Linux distributions, including CentOS. Red Hat, Fedora 5, 6, and 7, Ubuntu 12.04, and possibly other versions. The buffer overflow made its way into those distributions to the DJ new... Buffer Overflow. As I was saying, the buffer overflow made its way into those distributions through the new C library, specifically in its get host by name and get host by name 2 function calls. The bug made it possible to execute malicious code by sending malformed data to various applications and services running on vulnerable systems. Proof-of-concept attacked code was able to exploit the vulnerability in the XM mail server, and researchers widely suspected ClockDiff, ProcMail, and PPPD were also susceptible. Now, researchers from security firm Security have expanded the list. Quote, we also have good reasons to believe PHP applications might also be affected through its get host by name function wrapper. An example of where this could be a big issue is within WordPress itself. It uses a function name WP underscore HTTP underscore validate underscore URL to validate every pingbacks post URL. And it does so by using get host by name. So an attacker could leverage this vector to insert malicious URL that would trigger a buffer overflow bug, server-side, potentially allowing him to gain privileges on the server. Or her. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Fortunately, there's little evidence Ghost is being maliciously exploited in the, in the wild against mail and web servers. That's likely because there are several tall hurdles that make successful attacks difficult. Still, attacks only grow more effective over time. Vulnerable Linux installations should be updated as soon as possible, especially if they run any of the apps or services flagged as being vectors for this attack. So, Matt, at your client site, what have you guys done? We've done, well, I'll remark for my home network, and we've <laughs> done, we've done, uh, we've done a lot. I mean, it's hard to say because if you're doing risk management with any, for any, any enterprise environment you're going to ensure that if a patch comes out for a particular software or operating system that you're using with that environment you have timely patching and um, you're able to assess the vulnerabilities within the environment in a timely fashion um, without I, bringing a network down without bringing the, without or the, bringing the, the systems down. <laughs> right so that's always been a hurdle um, and you know it from a defense in depth standpoint um, as well, you want to identify which key devices are forward facing and more susceptible to attack and patch accordingly. So that's that's the advice I have to give for people that are patching their enterprise environments. And then people like Vic with his phone, you're just screwed. <laughs> so it's okay. It's okay. So are we ready to jump into the next one? Yeah, what's going on with the next one? Jump. Okay, um, this morning, a number of developers signed into 
um, Apple iTunes Connect service only to be greeted by a list of apps that didn't belong to them. So TechCrunch has a good roundup of tweets from affected developers. We were just talking. We don't plan this when we talk about these stories, but we are just talking about how hard it is to develop a good antivirus program for iOS mobile devices. devices. Yeah. Well, mobile devices in general, but iOS specifically. So this rounds up into that. So it seems that whenever developers signed in with their credentials, they were being granted access to another developer's account at random. As of about noon Eastern, um, this was yesterday, Apple took the service down to resolve the problem. It also looks like developers won't be able to submit new apps or invite new testers to test flight while iTunes Connect is down. Affected developers can check Apple's system status page for developers uh, for updates while they wait for the program or problems to be resolved. And no other developer services appear to be affected by the outage. Um, while they don't know whether the outage was caused by some error on Apple's end or by a security breach like the one that brought all developer systems down in summer of 2013, Ars Technica has asked Apple when the service will be back and what caused the login problem in the first place. We have an update. According to the system status page, iTunes Connect and Test Flight both went back normal at 3.30 p.m. And uh, so that was, what, um, three and a half hours uh, was down. Developers should log into their accounts and make sure everything is where they left it. You might also consider changing your password. But there's no evidence that this was a result of any type of security breach. But hey, it can't hurt. Wow. You get a cool one, Nick. Next. A recently fixed vulnerability in the Black Phone instant messaging application gave attackers the ability to decrypt messages, steal contacts, and control vital functions of the device, which is marketed as a more secure way to protect communications from government and criminal snoops. Snoopy doop. Mark Dowd, a principal consultant with Australia-based Azimuth Security, said would-be attackers needed only a user's silent circle ID or phone number to remotely exploit the bug. From there, the attacker could surreptitiously decrypt and read messages, read contacts, monitor geographic locations of the phone, write code or text to the phone's external storage, and enumerate the account stored on the device. He said engineers at Blackphone Designer Silent Circle fixed the underlying bug after he privately reported it to them. The vulnerability resided in silent text. The secure text messaging application bundled with the black phone and also as a free Android app located in Google Play. A component known as LipSkimp contained a type of memory corruption flaw known as a type confusion vulnerability. LipSkimp is the black phone implementation of the Silent Circle instant messaging protocol which is Skimp, and runs on top of the Extensible Messaging and Presence Protocol, XMPP. Skimp is used to create secure end-to-end channels between people sending text messages. It handles the transportation of the encrypted data through the channel. Type confusion vulnerabilities occur when one data type is mistakenly interpreted as another. Usually a pointer to one object is incorrectly manipulated as a pointer to an object of a different type. 
In unmanaged languages such as C, these flaws often result in invalid memory accesses that can be exploited in ways similar to so-called use after free bugs. Dowd and fellow researchers Ryan Smith and David Dewey spoke about type confusion at the 2009 Black Hat Security Conference. The black phone attack could be triggered by sending targets a specifically designed payload that allowed an attacker to overwrite a pointer in memory, paving the way to replacing normal contents with malicious ones. Dowd provides a spectacularly deep technical explanation in his blog that we will post on our website. The vulnerability is a potent reminder that strong encryption means little if one of the endpoints is compromised. The black phone appears to do many things right, but in the age of advanced hacking and ever more complex software, that's no guarantee it can't be hacked. That's very important. Oh, that Vic. That's funny. Um, Yeah, so if I bought this phone, I would be pretty mad. What, an iPhone? No, a uh, black phone, which is built on, uh, isn't it built on Android? Uh, Nick? Yeah. So I would definitely, um, yeah, exactly. So See, if they went with the... The Android for the paranoid. Note, they would have been all right. I wouldn't say that. I'd be affected by the same thing. So they'd be taking notes. All right, so let's... All right. Um, actually, so I saw that um, Silent Circle at, at one of the conferences, and I was impressed with their product. It's very nice. So things like this are going to happen. Nothing is is a hundred percent, you know, uh, sealed up, good to go, no problem. There's no magic button or magic, uh, no magic service. Button. Nope. Magic product. It's no easy button. So, Operation Pondstorm. So this was an espionage campaign initially profiled in October. Has a new uh, tactic for spying on targets' communications, installing spyware on acquaintances' iOS devices, etc., etc. So this new dimension of the campaign primarily focuses on infecting the devices of immediate connections of military, government, defense industry, media professionals. Uh, this was all reported by Trend Micro. The intimate acquaintances serve as pawns in the campaign that allow the attackers to eavesdrops on their actual targets. So this is um, kind of spreading it out through incidental um, or uh, individuals that talk with the target, it looks like, and they're, they're dropping things on those individuals. But the logic behind this explained John Clay senior manager of global threat communications at trend micro an interview with scm magazine is that these personal connections will eventually be in the same room as the intended targets or will exchange text messages with them which would provide attackers with their desired intel so that what they said is what we are suspicious of is that they the attackers are looking to start recording conversations because these people have sidebar conversations regularly uh, quote, they are having off-the-record conversations and the attackers are probably looking for intel in those combos, end quote. An infection begins with a phishing email, typically based around an event where the recipient might be interested in attending. A link within the email directs the victim to a webpage with instructions to install the application. 
If clicked and downloaded, the malicious app will run silently in the background, capturing text, contact list, pictures, and geolocation data. The phishing email and code are both written in English, indicating a clear preference for English-speaking targets. Um, Trend Micro identified two apps, X-Agent and Madcap. Uh, X-Agent's app icon remains hidden in iOS 7 devices and will restart immediately if attempted to be terminated by killing the process. However, in iOS 8, the app's icon is visible and it does not restart automatically. Madcap is similar to X-Agent, but it differs in that it can only be installed on jailbroken devices. The attackers haven't been identified yet, although Clay said Trend Micro is continuing to collect intel. Certainly, and I quote, we are going to see this group be active in this particular campaign, Clay said. It seems to be pretty effective for them. Until the attackers have been identified and stopped, Clay suggested installing security apps on phones to ensure hidden apps are not running in the background. So these are app trackers. I'm going to install those. Why are you looking at your phone? Yeah, man, I'm looking. <laughs> well, don't even try to download one, Vic. Because, Let me ask uh, Siri. Hey, man, is there any apps going on that we you tried to know ask about? Siri uh, something last week or the week before. Yeah, remember that? And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I don't know what you're talking about. So, um, let's see. I want to do the next one as well. Oh, man. Okay. All right. So, attackers um, who have slipped malicious advertisements onto major websites over the last month have potentially compromised large numbers of computers. Ooh, do tell. So several security vendors have documented attacks involving malicious advertisements, which automatically redirect victims to other websites that silently attack their computers and install malware. Um, So Nick from Cyfort says, we are certainly seeing seeing malvertising on the rise. Um, We are seeing it to be a major channel for delivering malware this year. For the second time in about a month, Cyfort found malicious advertisements popping up on major websites, including the Huffington Post, LA Weekly, um, between Thursday and Monday. The attack is likely a continuation of the first one, Bill Gorski said. However, the malvertisements are distributed by adtech.ee.de, excuse me, which is an AOL-owned online advertising company. You've got mail. And two other companies, um, adspansion.com and ad.directrev.com. The bad ads appear to have been removed from AdTech, Bill Gorski says. Um, however, he has been in touch with its security team. He couldn't reach the two other companies. The malicious advertisements redirected users through several domains before finally dumping them on web pages that were hosting an exploit kit, an attack tool that scans for software vulnerabilities, and it appears the campaign uses uh, something called the Sweet Orange um, Exploit Kit, Bill Gorski says. If a vulnerability is found, the malware automatically is delivered, and a dangerous type of attack known by a drive-by download is uh, it's the worst case, Bill Gorski says. The malware installed is called Kafter, which is uh, used to... F- fraudulently generate ad impressions. So it can be difficult for online advertising companies to keep the bad ads out of their systems, and the companies are getting millions of ads submitted to them, 
and any one of them could be malware, Bigorsky says. They try their best to detect and filter, but it's challenging. Attackers, for example, may be able to enable malicious payloads after their ads have been approved. Other times, they may only attack every 10th user. The ads, Bogorski says, have been repeatedly checked to ensure they're not malicious. On Tuesday, Cisco's Talos Security Group wrote it had analyzed another large malvertising campaign that uses Angler, a uh, potent one known for um, its attack and uh, quick deployment of the latest flash vulnerabilities. More than 1,800 legitimate domains were used as part of that campaign, wrote Nick Benassi, a Cisco threat researcher, and it appeared that the attackers had gained control of the domain's accounts, many of, the rich, uh, many of which were registered through GoDaddy, and the attackers created subdomains on those accounts. People who viewed a malicious ad were redirected to a newly created subdomain, which then redirected them to a subdomain that served up the exploit kit. Very sophisticated stuff. So the attackers had created so many subdomains that one may only be used to redirect. Since malicious domains are often quickly detected and blocked by security software, rotating them helps ensure an attack will be successful. So the Angular attacks kicked off after a victim viewed the malicious ad. And on Monday, Trend Micro said it is discovering a new zero-day in Adobe Systems Flash software after analyzing malvertisement attacks in, involving Angular. And uh, the malvertisement had been sent on the popular website Daily Motion. So, uh, the Flash Floss TV 2015 is the third one found in the application in about a month. And Adobe plans to fix it later this week, which is coming, what, we said Thursday? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, be sure to catch the update with a net. Download it, run it, install it, love it. So with that, you got a twofer for me. So what's next? So how about some SCADA, guys? I'm ready for some SCADA. How about you? Blinkity blank. So we haven't heard, we haven't <laughs> think, heard think. SCADA in a while, but an attack launched by an APT group against an unnamed steel plant in Germany resulted in significant damage. Cyber attacks on critical infrastructure are a reality and they're becoming more frequent. An IT security report for 2014 published by Germany's Federal Office for Information Security, BSI, on Wednesday described a noteworthy incident that caused physical damage to a facility. According to the agency, sophisticated attackers used spear phishing and social engineering to gain access to the office network of a steel plant. Now, aren't those the two oldest things in the book what's that social engineering yep you find out everything you can about the person right right or then people you act on objectives then you act on objectives and you spearfish them control components and entire production machines suffered outages due to the attackers actions the outages prevented the plant from appropriately shutting down a blast furnace leaving it in an undetermined state this resulted in significant damage to the plant First off, it's unclear what form the damage described took and if, if it was permanent. It seems as though the actual physical damage to the blast furnace was an unintended side effect. The true intent may have been competitive sabotage with the blast furnace as collateral damage, but there is certainly not enough data to make anything more than an educated guess. Germany-based Gardner analyst Oliver Rockford told Security Week after reviewing the report. 
So far, there is no discussion on what type of capability the adversaries use past the spear phishing, such as specific malware, and the attacker may have been directly connecting into the facility to cause the damage through interaction with the human-machine interface or other control systems. Drago Security co-founder Robert M. Lee noted in a blog post. However, if there was malware that was involved and targeted towards ICS specifically, this would then be the only fourth public instance. Stuxnet, Havix, and Black Energy were the other three pieces of malware that had specific ICS targeted components. Based on their actions, the, th- the threat group has advanced technical knowledge of not only conventional IT security, but also industrial control systems and production processes. So, Nick, this really has a lot to do with uh, you know ICS and protecting things that are there. Absolutely. In order to damage, it is not simply to know a lot of Windows systems. Yes, all started by infecting the computers in the office, but after that, things get complicated. Usually those computers don't run Windows, but some special real-time operating system like QNX, OSE, or VXWorks. Not an easy task to write code for these, said IT security consultant Soren Mustaka. But writing code is not the biggest problem here. The complex part is to know how to control those industrial devices. For a furnace, to know how to control it requires special knowledge, which just can't be read in some books. The BSI report also noted that several German companies have been targeted in the cyber espionage campaign known as Energetic Bear or Dragonfly. The operation, which targets ICS operators, particularly in the energy sector, leverages a piece of malware known as Havex. In October, ICS CERT issued a warning about an ongoing operation targeting ICS. The alert noted the campaign, which involved a variant of the Black Energy malware, had been ongoing since at least 2011. Wow, very good story. Um, you know, we've kind of said for years that SCADA is, is something that has to be looked at. Um, you know, it's even... It's even as, let's say you're a shop that does CNC machining, right? So you have a CNC machine that you base your business off of. You're making these specialized metal parts um, or machined parts. Well, what happens when you think that, you know, the system is isolated from the network, but really it's connected to the Internet to get updates? Guess what? Now you've, uh, you know, expanded that. Risk. At risk and that attack surface out now, and you're not knowing as a business owner that that's, that's a risk. Now I can go in. There's a lot of custom programs that are in there that speed up the production process, and now I'm able to go in and delete those things or maybe change it a little bit so you have to throw away your whole day of production or, you know, a, a lot of things that can be done um, based upon not securing ICS or um, SCADA uh, type of systems. So, next. Experts uncovered a massive CTB locker ransomware campaign. So, security researchers at the CERT team at Society General uncover a new um, malware campaign, which is spreading the CTB locker or Kryptoni crypto ransomware. In the past... The criminals used the popular Angular exploit kit in order to spread the CTB locker malware 
this time, the threat actor is spreading the ransomware through spam emails across several countries. C T B um, are the three pillars of the new uh, threat. Uh, elliptic curve cryptography to perform the encryption. <laughs> Tor and Bitcoin to ensure That's not the, what it says. <laughs> ensure the anonymity <laughs> payment. States a report published by the CERT team at mm. Society General. So um, <laughs> the common infection vector, um, actually, so CTB stands for Curve Tor Bitcoin, um, and the common infection vector is via an email containing a fake invoice. Wow. Compressed as a zip or cab archive file. I think I may have seen this in email in passing. It's pretty cool stuff. So the archives contain a binary, um, which is a, a Delexis dropper, usually in an SCR file, which once open displays a decoy RTF document, waits for five minutes, and then drops the actual CTB um, locker payload, which in turn performs the encryption routines. So CTB Locker is one of the most recent strains of crypto ransomware that encrypts victim hard drives uh, and demands payment, a fee, typically in Bitcoin, in order to get the decryption key. The payment is requested by the CTB Locker, usually in two or three Bitcoin, and victims have no choice. Getting back the encrypted data is quite impossible. Unfortunately, the ransomware um, is becoming one of the most common malware used in criminal ecosystems. Last year, CryptoLocker infected tens of thousands of PCs and generated millions of dollars of revenue before the authorities shut down the Game Over Zeus botnet, which had been used to spread the malicious agent. So the principal characteristics of CTB um, ransomware is the use of elliptic curve cryptography to encrypt the user's files and the Tor network to hide the command and control infrastructure. So the common infection vector is via email containing a fake invoice, um, and we've, you know, this is something very similar. It contains that zipper cab, um, has a Delexis dropper um, with an SCR file, de- displays the decoy RTF document, waits five minutes, and then act- drops the actual CTB locker payload, which in turn performs that encryption routine. So. Um, Hiding the command and control servers in an anonymous Tor network complicates the search for cyber criminals and use of unorthodox cryptographic schemes make file decryption impossible, even if the traffic is intercepted between the Trojan and the server. So that was from um, Fedor, which is a senior malware analyst at Kaspersky Lab, and that told The Daily um, last year. All this makes it a highly dangerous threat and one of the most technologically advanced uh, encryptors out there. <coughs> so the new variant of CTB dubbed Trojan Ransom W32.onion um, by the experts at Kaspersky Lab include other interesting fee- features um, according to uh, Sinistin. So the CTB locker offers the victims a sort of trial demo <laughs> where they can choose five files to decrypt without paying the ransom. It also is available in three new languages to target users in the Netherlands, Germany, and Italy. CTB Locker is also able to evade detection and analysis operated by researchers through virtual environments. Instead of correct, connecting directly to Tor, CTB proxies itself through six additional anonymization services to further complicate the tracking and takedown efforts. 
Another um, something else that's peculiar about the CTP locker ransomware is the limited amount of time the malware gives its victims in order to submit the payment, uh, no more uh, than four days. So instead of correct, connecting directly to Tor, CTP proxies itself um, multiple ways. And how you can protect your system is um, the only way to restore the system is to have a recent backup, prevent the infection, users need to use an effective antivirus solution, and they need to have all their applications and operating systems up to date with the latest patch installations. So there uh, is an update. Um, there's further interesting data in a blog post um, posted by another security firm that we'll post up on the website. So yesterday, third, uh, 3 Feb, a new huge spam campaign started to spread the CTB locker again. When running CTB locker, it immediately automatically downloads its harmful main component from multiple domains through an HTTPS secure connection. Usually the download has the um, kind of file name.tar.gz format, um, file name format, and some of the malicious domains will list up, uh, it's, it's in this report, um, and antivirus detection is at the time of this update very low. Uh, so, you know, you can check out virus total for that. And uh, at this stage, this looks like all we have. So we're going to take a break, come back, and finish, finish the, out show. the show. And we're back. All right, guys. Uh, so you're going to see two episodes up on the website right now, and that is because last week we did not upload one, so you're getting a twofer. Two for the price of one, which is free. Two for. And two for free. So with that, uh, shout outs. Doug Burks going to be using Security Onion. Pretty excited to get on that. Um, I will let everybody know feedback on how that is. Do you guys have any shout outs? Nope. No. Okay. All right. With that, guys, thanks again for joining us, guys and gals. Thanks for joining us for another week. And we will talk to you next week. Blankety blank.